0: Greetings and welcome to another edition of Trinity Radio. I'm Jonathan Pritchett, and today we're going to be reviewing a video from Godless Engineer. Godless Engineer recently did a video responding to What Do You Mean, Mike Lacona, and David Wood. So let's take a look at Godless Engineer and see what he has to say.
1: Today we're gonna to be taking a look at What do You Memes live stream he did with Mike Lacona and David Wood.
2: Well, uh, Mike Lacona actually wrote this book, which you guys have heard me recommend probably on live streams. Um, it's The Resurrection of Jesus. And in this book, it's a massive beast, right? <laughs> and this book is awesome though, because um, what I really liked about it, if you're looking for like an objective perspective too, I'm like, it's, you know, try, somebody that's trying to be as unbiased as possible and evaluating like most of the, uh, I guess, some of the, you guys' direct data, I can't remember how you qualify um, relating to jesus in the first century and that book is like it's the best that i know of as far as that
0: yeah i want to echo that uh sentiment uh resurrection and the son of god from nt wright is also a must-have it's a, about as big as this one but this is a if you're interested in apologetics or if you're interested in critiquing apologetics like godless and engineer uh this book and nt wright's book resurrection and the son of god are both books that you should read um but um John is exactly right. This book is phenomenal. Oh, I wonder what kind of objective
1: look at the resurrection that a Christian apologist did.
0: Um, As objective as possible. Didn't say completely objective without any bias. In fact, one of the things that uh, Mike Lacona did in this book that I thought was very, very good, and you kind of wish that a lot of uh, New Testament scholars and other... Um, People like that would do is he 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 inserted a a section of this book called confessions and in that confessions he lays out his you know biases his background his presuppositions and things like that which um, unfortunately not a lot of people in the field do this conversation they're having has a context and a fuller treatment in the book they just reference so yes he does lay out all of that I, it would be a good thing for more Um, people in the field to do. Unfortunately, not all do that. So props to Mike Lacona for for, uh, setting the standard there with being open and upfront about his biases, his uh, presuppositions, his background, and of course, uh, sorting through all of the uh, methodology that he uh, implements in his uh, monumental work. Considering that Mike Lacona is still a Christian I'm guessing this objective look wasn't so objective absolute rubbish see there's a confusion here that that that, that if you uh, believe a particular thing then you can't be uh, objective in your analysis of something that's like saying uh, Bart Ehrman and all of his conclusions he's not a Christian he makes a boatload of money Uh, trying to debunk uh, traditional claims about Christianity and about the New Testament and about the Bible. Uh, So obviously, Bart Ehrman can't be... No, you don't say that. Uh, Just because someone has reached a conclusion, a conclusion that they actually continue to hold, doesn't mean that they're not being as objective as possible, which is what they said, in their work. Uh, That's like saying that uh, nobody can be at all objective. No, you can be objective. Bart Ehrman can be objective. Um, He may not be completely objective, but, you know, like Mike Lacona, we all know what his biases are and what his presuppositions are. Uh, But that's not to say that Bart Ehrman is just carrying the torch like Godless Engineer is just to debunk stuff. Mike Lacona didn't say that he was completely unbiased and without any uh, sort of presuppositions or anything. No, he stated them uh, just as Bart Ehrman does. So props to Bart Ehrman. We all know where Bart Ehrman is coming from. But no, the idea is to be objective, take an objective look at all of the data, is not to say that you have no biases or that you're completely 100% neutral. Uh, Neutrality is a myth, and a college engineer knows this. So um, just because you conclude that Jesus rose from the dead doesn't mean that you're um, not being objective. Or you could make the same claim that just because you conclude Jesus did not rise from the dead, oh, you're just not being objective. You're not looking at all the evidence. So this kind of stuff is uh, silly nonsense and should do better.
1: If you're interested in this analysis of Mike Lycona's bad historiography,
0: then please... Uh, Bad historiography. Do you have any evidence that what he did was bad historiography? That's what I would like to know. Whereas the evidence that he did bad... do Do you know what historiography is? How to do history? Why is it bad? It, we don't we don't ever find out anything like concrete about why it's bad.
3: You know, when Gary Habermas and I were finishing up our book, The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus, we were almost done in 2002. And at that time, I remember asking him. I said, Doc, you know, why is it you've got this bibliography, which I think it had 22 or 2400 sources. Now it's about 3500, maybe even more. 22, 2400 sources at that point, written by scholars. Well,
0: there was a little banner that said is not a peer reviewed. Um, Well, actually, it was uh, this particular book was um, Mike Lacona's dissertation that was expanded into a book. Um, So, in that sense, he probably had several people on his dissertation committee uh, review it. So, and you got to pass that. Um, And then, of course, when you get something published by an academic publisher, Uh, In this case, IVP Academic, not Kregel. And then, of course, Mike's latest book, uh, Why uh, Why Are the Differences of the Gospel, that's, of course, published by Oxford Press. So it's not like um, slouchy academic publishers are just peddling this stuff. No, Um, it went through a thorough uh, review process, so uh, try again
3: from 1975 up until that present day, which again was around, I think it was 2002.
1: Exactly how many books have been written on the resurrection that say the exact same Sure, they could solely analyze on one particular portion of the resurrection or of Jesus in general, but it seems like all of these guys have their
0: own particular book that argues the exact same arguments for the... Uh, No, actually, they don't. Number one, they don't all conclude that Jesus rose from the dead. Two, not every source in there is a book about the resurrection, Uh, which you would know if you had at least read the bibliography. Uh, it's a big book. But um, no, they're not all books about the resurrection. Every source that he cited is not books about the resurrection. Uh, a lot of it is uh, historical Jesus studies in general that touch on the resurrection. But of course, it's a wider field than that um but it they're they're not just a bunch of christian scholars saying ah oh, jesus rose from the dead in fact there's there's i don't know only the bibliography of like books written by christian apologists that specifically deal with the resurrection is not a massive thousands uh of entries bibliography it's it's less than that but there are peer reviewed journal articles and, and other books um uh, on, on the that either touch on the resurrection, deal with the resurrection, uh, directly, or just general, um, historiography books, uh, books on just historical Jesus, and, and all sorts of books like that that may, uh, inter- interact with the material of the resurrection insofar as they relate to the historical Jesus. It's a huge field, um, and I don't think that it's dominated by, uh, confessional Christians either. It's, it uh, depends on where you go. So if you're at, Uh, like Evangelical Theological Society, yeah, the New Testament scholars there are going to all be uh, pro-resurrection and affirm it, Uh, but if you go to something like the Society of Biblical Literature or other places like that, uh, you're not going to find that same kind of consensus that you would find at something like the Evangelical Theological Society. Uh, So you may think that, oh, because it's a field dealing with the Bible or the New Testament or even the Old Testament, it must be dominated by people who believe in Christianity,
1: resurrection also just because you found a lot of people that agree with your conclusion does not mean that your conclusion is correct this is just an ad populum fallacy because he's sitting there like well all of these people agree with my conclusion therefore i'm well supported and i am correct no
0: uh you're not yeah but hang on for a second just because people agree with the position doesn't mean uh, that your position is correct i agree uh with that but He's not talking about agreeing with his position that Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, what he's basically talking about, if you read the book, he's talking about the consistence of New Testament scholars that agree with what Mike Lacona calls the bedrock facts. These scholars include um, people like uh, Bart Ehrman, uh, Gerd Luderman, Paula Fredrickson, Robert Funk, Marcus Borg, John Dominic Crossan, people who don't necessarily affirm that Jesus rose from the dead, but they do agree to some degree or another with the facts that Mike Lacona uses to make his argument for the resurrection. But that's what he's talking about. Certain conclusions uh, that deal with his case that uh, one, uh, Jesus actually existed, which is something I don't think Godless Engineer, he says he's a mythicist, which is, I mean, come on um really uh but you and and uh price and carrier man (laughs) come on uh but anyway you know paul's conversion things like that you know that jesus death by pontius pilate facts that um historians christian or not within the field of new testament studies and yes There is an aspect of New Testament studies that qualifies you as a historian. New Testament studies isn't just people who read the New Testament over and 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 over 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 again. New Testament studies involves history okay because number one it's a document from antiquity which means it's an old document which means you also have to study the history surrounding it so even in seminary where you study new testament studies you get a whole lot of history not just church history but greco-roman history ancient semitic history all kinds of history now not all uh Aspects of New Testament studies touches on history, but a good chunk of it does. And Michael Kona knows what he's talking about. So, uh, while we're on that subject, this book is the big book about the resurrection. But I wanted to show you that this portion of it uh, is just on methodology. This just on it's a primer for historiography, right? And it's this this section that's just on how to do history. Is as big as this book that's all about historiography historiography right historiography books on historiography these are all historic books that people who like the New Testament have to read on historiography historiography look at all these books historiography and look how thick they are and look how thick this whole book is but yet this this section of it is like these books on how to do history so it's not like when you're in seminary you don't read a lot of books on not just what happened in history but you also read a whole lot of books on how to do history and i'm sure mike lacona has read an infinite amount of more books on the subject than i have just judging by his bibliography that has a lot of entries by historians who are writing on the subject of historiography okay
1: This type of argument reminds me of the apologetic about how the Bible's been copied and transcribed so many times in history, and how we have so many thousands of copies of the Bible that inherently makes the Bible true. I don't really care how many copies something has or how important the book is to one particular group or another. It doesn't speak to the truth of what's in the book.
0: You You know, what's interesting is that I've never heard a single apologist make that claim. So I don't know if it's his inability to listen or his inability to understand uh, arguments. But the Bible, what is said about Scripture is that it is the most well-attested set of documents from antiquity. We have more copies of it than we do all other ancient documents uh comparable to this time period like uh Homer, Plato, whatever, Xenophon, Aristotle. We just have more attestation of documents, more ancient copies of it than we have of other things, which helps textual critics come to see the integrity of the text better than other ancient documents it's not saying that oh we have a bunch of ancient manuscript copies of the new testament therefore it's true that's that's a claim that no one's ever made so i don't know what you're talking about um but the claim is and there it's right is that we can have more assurance of the reliability of the transmission the more documents that we actually have it's a strength of the text of scripture that we can uh have so much uh uh, manuscript copies to examine to 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 understand that. Now, from there, most historians believe facts about history as recorded in ancient documents far less attested than the New Testament. Okay, so what New Testament apologists and Christian apologists are saying is that. The reliability question, we know basically what the text said. Even Bart Ehrman, after he goes on and on about 100,000 errors in the Bible, is like, yeah, I mean, the New Testament, basically what was written is what we got. You know, 95 to 98 degree accuracy of probably what the originals look like. Even though we don't have the originals, it's basically probably what that is. Nobody's sitting there just doing massive edit jobs. Okay, so put that out of your head. But... Are those documents reliable? Well, they seem to be generally reliable as or more reliable than a lot of documents from antiquity that unless you're just an infinite skeptic about everything that happened in the past. um, Yeah, you can come to this reliable. uh, Even non-Christians believe that it is reliable on some things, just not reliable for miracle claims or whatever, because of a presupposed worldview that miracles can't happen. But that's a bias. That's not that's not an actual statement about it. But nobody's claiming that the Bible's true because we have a ton of copies of it. So I don't know where he got that from, but um, it's an argument uh, that he is uh, uh, refuting that he came up with himself. So we call that straw man.
1: Lycona goes on to discuss his conversation with Gary Habermas about the current state of New Testament studies.
3: He said, well, you've got a few philosophers, but most are New Testament scholars. And I thought, well, are there any professional historians, general historians who, you know, they're trained in how to do uh, historical investigations? Are there any who have done, you know, an investigation of the resurrection? He said, yeah, there's a handful, but they're journal articles and very small books. uh, But nobody's done an exhaustive one. So I thought, wow, I'd like to do that.
1: For one thing, Mike Lacona is not a historian.
0: Uh, for one thing, Mike Lacona is as much of a historian as anyone who does history on a particular uh, time period of history. So you don't need to you don't need to have the word history in your degree title in order to be counted as a historian. Okay, history history is studying the past. Okay, studying finding out what happened in the past. Okay, that's that's what it is. And if you are as a professional paid person trying to find out something that happened in the past, you're a historian, not having the word historian in your or history, like church history or, you know, classical history or whatever, uh, World War II history, whatever, just because you're whatever, the word doesn't need to be in your degree in order to be counted as somebody who's doing history, which makes somebody a historian.
1: Has a bachelor's in music performance,
0: right? And if that's all he had, and he was investigating history, he would be doing history, which would make him a historian, okay? Specializing in the saxophone, a master. That's awesome, by the way. Michael Kona played the sax. That's pretty cool. I wonder if it was tenor, baritone, or alto. I, by the way, played the trumpet
1: in religious studies which he got at liberty university
0: yes and people who do general religious studies not just christian studies or new testament studies or biblical studies or whatever but people who do religious studies okay they do history a lot of the times so they have to do history stuff like read a lot a lot of books that i showed you on not just history but how to do history uh, basic religious studies majors classical studies majors like people who studied the classics like Homer. You know, they have to do, you know, other Greco-Roman literature. They have to do the history stuff, too. Okay? Okay.
1: And a Ph.D. in New Testament studies.
0: Which involves lots of history, especially if your dissertation focus that you're spending seven years doing, if you're doing history, you're getting a, a good, solid understanding of how to do historiography
1: sure if he started off going for a general history degree, but he definitely did not end up in a general history degree. Where he actually ended up was the that is New Testament studies. As recalled by Lycona, Gary Habermas states that the current field of New Testament studies is filled with people that are not general historians. They are definitely not taking a look at the evidence objectively. And they are not applying the same historical methods that are used in other fields of history. One of the most common things I face... Actually, that's
0: wrong. No. No, he is... You. The reason why you look at... Uh, actually, you look at philosophers of history, uh, uh, more so than whatever... Like, somebody who gets a master's degree in history, okay? That's a generalist, okay? Um, <clears throat> now, if they go on to get a PhD in some sort of historical studies... Um, it, they may specialize in a particular thing because that's what PhD two uh, PhD candidates do. They specialize in, in some aspect of history, um, or they may do philosophy of history or whatever. But when he was talking about general historians, he was he was talking about historians who are generalists, not necessarily specialists in something like just World War II, or just ancient Mediterranean history or just ancient Near Eastern history or just Civil War history talking about generalists in a field. Okay, that's what he was looking for and when you're a generalist in a field a General historian. Okay, even if your doctoral work is general history uh, You're gonna know a lot of bit about a little bit uh, I mean you're gonna know a little bit about a lot of bit But if you're specializing in a particular subject like New Testament studies You're gonna know a lot of bit about a little bit which means that little window of history that you're studying probably between the second temple period on through like the second century ad uh you're going to know a lot of stuff about the history of that time and you're going to study a lot about how historians do the history of that time which is what we call historiography so yeah but he was asking about general historians um generalists not people who specifically focus on one thing but people who are either philosophers of history or just generalists in history broadly.
1: With my position as a mythicist, is how many teaching historians support my particular ideas or positions?
0: None. That should also tell you something. I know that you don't like consensus unless it's uh, the consensus is something that you believe in. And then all of a sudden you wave the flag of consensus. But here, because you have a minority position uh you you want to throw out consistency consistency doesn't mean anything because yes a lot of people who don't believe that jesus is the son of god that don't believe that god raised jesus from the dead don't believe that jesus died for anyone's sins believe that jesus actually existed and yeah the re there's a there's a very good reason it's not because oh man you've got to you've you you've got to believe in jesus in order to teach at secular liberal universities, no, you you've got to uh, you've got to not be a mythicist, okay? Because it, Jesus mythicist, it's weird. Um, it's like you know Caesar myth- mythicists and Plato mythicists, okay? These people never existed, right? Um, but yeah, just not. We're just not interested in that kind of thing. There's a reason why no teaching people at any universities anywhere hold that position.
1: It's kind of hard to have anybody in the New Testament studies field back up what you're saying as a mythicist when the entire field is primarily made up of people that have to believe in a resurrection and to have-
0: false. It's a big world. Uh, it's just a big, even just the Western world. Okay. But I, I, where, where, who's making Bart Ehrman believe in a resurrection, okay? Who's making him do that, okay? Who's making Ger Ludermann? Who made all the Jesus Seminar scholars believe in a bodily resurrection, even though most of them did not? But I'm just saying, uh, with all due respect, Godless Engineer, you're just wrong. Depends on, if, if you're talking about a particular group of New Testament scholars who are Christians, Yeah christian new testament scholarship is filled with christians but that's different than just our evangelical new testament scholarship is filled with evangelicals okay but that doesn't mean that the field of biblical studies in general or new testament studies is just filled with uh christians not at all okay so do some more research have to believe in a historical
1: Jesus as part of their deeply held religious belief. And oftentimes it's mandated by the institutions that they are teaching at.
0: If If they are Christians, yes. If they are not Christians, no. And guess what? I I don't imagine that um, Bart Ehrman is required to believe in a bodily resurrection since he argues against it for his position.
1: You want to be honest. The state of New Testament studies is a big jerk of christians
0: i really so john dominic Cro- cross and uh bart ehrman and jewish people like paula frederickson they're uh they all believe in the resurrection now i guess because godless engineer thinks so come on man you know better than this
3: I've been plagued with, with doubts over the years, and I thought, well, you know, I want to do an investigation. I, I entered this with the objective of proving the resurrection of Jesus, so I know I already have my biases, right?
1: Ah, and that's where you up, Mike. Yeah, You see, you came to the investigation looking to prove your hypothesis. That's...
0: Um, okay, so?
1: That's not how you should investigate your hypothesis.
0: You see... Uh No, you, you can if you want to. I mean, it's like, okay, I have this hypothesis. I want to see if it works. If it doesn't work, then you get rid of it and you come up with a new one. But if it does work and is what you wanted to work in the first place, so what? Using that, you only find things that support your idea. Anything that... Really? So when he read all those New Testament scholars that aren't Christians that apparently Godless Engineer doesn't know that exist, um all he was doing was reading other people who agreed with him. no, no, look at how thick this bibliography is let's let's look um let's look at how thick this thing is. just the bibliography is longer than a lot of people's books okay um, yeah, there we go. Bibliography goes from six forty one no six forty two to 695, 642 to nine or 697, I'm sorry, uh, 642 to 697, that's pretty thick bibliography. And, yeah, it's not just quoting a bunch of Christians, but you'd know that if you knew who he was quoting and had read the book could possibly
1: disprove your idea is either not going to be considered or is just going to be pushed to the side as if it doesn't matter. This is because you're only looking for things that confirm your current
0: position. By reading all those people that do not agree with your current position. Now, again, let's make a distinction. The consensus does agree with some of the things that he states are shared facts that all new testament scholars and historians or whatever agree with you know things about the the, the disciples at least believe they thought they saw the risen jesus that uh, christians on christians can agree with that uh that paul was and and james were not friendly to christianity and then became christians later especially paul uh was uh, a persecutor of the church okay that's something that people agree on whether they're christians or not uh, unlike mythicists here uh, him and Richard Carrier locking arms. Um, the overwhelming number of non-Christians and Christians alike believe that you know Jesus was a real person. Things like every and was killed under Project Pilate, crucified on a cross. Uh, these are the things that the consensus agrees with. Now, how they shake those facts out, Mike Lacona read a whole bunch and cited a whole bunch of people, and then in this last section of the book, okay. This last section of the book is uh, is evaluating people who don't agree necessarily. I mean, Dell Allison's kind of iffy, but the other four um, approaches that he analyzes, um, he looks at. He looks at um, who does he look at? The hypothesis of people he disagrees with and compares his hypothesis uh, to theirs using uh, sound historiography and using traditional methodology that all historians use, or, or not all, but some. Okay, looks at John Dominic Crossing, Gerd Luderman, Michael Golder. Um, he looks at Peter Crawford, Giza um, Vermes. So he's looking at all of these people. Um, yeah, it was an appendix that he did Dale Ellison. So Dale Ellison's in the appendix. So. The other five people are people who don't actually believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And then in the appendix, Dale Allison's kind of uh, more more on our side, but he he kind of leans into the altered states of consciousness kind of stuff. So a little bit different there. So he reviews six different people that don't necessarily agree with how he does it and sees how his hypothesis stacks up compared to theirs in dealing with the facts uh, related to the case for the resurrection. So no, you just... Again, uh, you're not understanding how all this works. When you test your hypothesis,
1: you want to try to find things that will disprove it. This is because you can have a lot of evidence to support your hypothesis, but it only takes one piece of evidence to disprove your hypothesis.
3: Yeah, um, it's like, I'm going to do an objective investigation and prove that God exists or prove that he doesn't exist. Well that's, you've already shown your biases that rather than just seeking to see, does God exist or did Jesus rise from the dead? And so I realized that I had my own biases and they certainly um, threatened the integrity. Of my investigation. I'm glad that you recognize this, Mike, but ultimately you let your Christian bias
1: poison your investigation.
0: Uh, how do you know that? Have you read his book? Okay, Have you seen the kind of material that he interacted with? No, unlike a lot of these non-Christian historical uh, uh, New Testament studies people uh, that, that write about the resurrection who, who talk about Jesus and they don't tell Christians that, yeah, I don't believe a word of this, Uh, Mike Lacona actually goes through his biases and his presuppositions, and he has whole sections on how anyone, whether you're Godless Engineer or Jonathan Pritchett or Mike Lacona, how historians can go about minimizing their biases. He lays it all out in that book and who you got to check yourself uh, against and who you collaborate with in order to minimize your biases and keep them in check, which is why he collaborated with uh, non-Christians, which you can read about, in the acknowledgements and in the the section on methodology so read yes we all do have our own biases right so what that doesn't mean you, you can't look at something and have controls for how you go about your investigation even if you believe something okay
1: But that's why peer review exists, and that's also why you try to find things that will break your hypothesis.
0: Which is exactly what Mike Lacona did in this enormous book with an enormous bibliography filled with all the stuff that we just, yeah, it's already covered. Now, you still don't have to agree with his conclusions, which it helps to at least familiarize yourself with the contents of the book uh, if you're going to critique them while they're talking about his process in that went into writing the book that uh, john mccray of what do you mean was waving around and commending to everybody from ivp academic press
1: instead of trying to confirm your hypothesis If it can be broken, then you need to rework your hypothesis so that it can actually explain everything that it's supposed to. A good hypothesis will hold up to scrutiny. Mike continues on to talk about how this investigation really made him struggle with his faith. Luckily, he had his Christian apologist friends to tether him to the Christian dogma, which ultimately poisons his conclusion. How
0: how do you know that? I, just because he concluded that there was a resurrection all of a sudden it's poison because a christian looked into it now if you know what we've already talked about this earlier in the video but this this is just absolutely silly so every time the godless engineer if if he were to examine and consider this book we know that now he's not if he looks into the resurrection he's pre uh programmed and predisposed to to reject it is poison. Poison everything. That's why even his response video to Mike Lykona is poisoned because of his pre-commitment to atheism. So you shouldn't listen to anything Godless Engineer says because he's just biased. He's not objectively analyzing anything to do with the resurrection or probably any uh, religious claims. Why? Because he's got an extra grind. See. Saying things like that doesn't mean that you're right or wrong. And because it doesn't mean that you're right or wrong, we don't need to go into all of that. Because it's actually fallacious. It's actually a non sequitur, to say. Because he already was a Christian, therefore his hypothesis is poisoned. And his method is poisoned. No, that doesn't follow. It's just a non sequitur. So it's fallacious. So if you care about making arguments that are rational and reasonable, don't make that one that if you believe something, and you investigate something, and your belief is confirmed, therefore it's false, that's a non sequitur. It could be true, and he was justified in believing it in the first place. That's possible.
3: I was really struggling with this, and I wanted to do an investigation to say, hey, if we applied strictly controlled historical method, what would an investigation of Jesus' resurrection look like? And I could live with it if historical investigation turned up, you know, inconclusive but i couldn't remain a christian if historical investigation pointed away from jesus's resurrection so yeah it took a while um but it was heart-wrenching it was uh one of the toughest things i've done in my life but very rewarding i'm sure that it was
1: really hard for you mike and it really does seem like you got close to taking off those christian colored lenses and taking an actual objective look at the evidence but you managed to retain your bias and actually lean harder into it as you were investigating the case for the resurrection.
0: That just says how good the case is, man. That's all, that's all that means. Or it means that as much as it means anything else is about to come out of your mouth. As we will see, his Christian bias infects his arguments and
1: investigation.
0: His non-Christian bias infects all this gibberish he's spewing all over YouTube, right? That's just rhetoric. Okay? It's just rhetoric. doesn't mean anything. So much, it causes him to say things that
1: no historian would say. It causes him to apply criteria that is only seen in New Testament studies.
0: He states- No, the criteria, right? Explanatory scope, explanatory power, plausibility, less ad hoc, illumination, those are... It's in the book. It's in all those books I just tossed behind me. It's in a lot of books about how to do history, okay? Which he cites a lot of books on how how historians do history, and come to find out when you read about that, there's there's actually not a whole lot of consensus on how to do history among even the general historians. Right, historiography is pretty contested. Um, A lot of that has to do with uh, postmodernism and some other things, but uh, just how to do history itself is a complicated matter. But what they can agree on, he covers and he implements those criteria, right? Just like the Jesus Seminar came up with their own criteria, you know, um, and they use little colored beads and stuff. But yeah, I mean, you lay out your method, and he uses standard methodology for uh, doing historiography, so uh, you'd know that. Not It's not something that only New Testament studies use. He goes, in this first big chunk that I, I was referring to earlier on method, it's mostly... Citing philosophers of history and things like that on how to actually do history, firmly planted
1: in his Christian dogma, the entire investigation. Uh, one of the things, uh...
0: if you're a Christian, you can't do science. If you're a Christian, you can't do history. If you're a Christian, you can't do. Come on, dude, that's silly. Uh, that's like saying if you're an atheist, you you can't you can't critique the the New Testament because you're atheist. You you can't do it because you're you're biased against it, right? You can't you, you you can't be objective, so we can't accept anything that you say. That's what, that's all we're hearing, Godless engineer, and it's it's pretty silly. Quick 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 comment on because
4: oh, yeah. because, because uh, I missed it when you guys were mentioning this book. If you guys watch my debate on the resurrection with John Loftus, where even atheists were saying I schooled him, this was the main resource I used for for my for my study on this. So good stuff here.
0: It is good stuff.
4: My study on this, so good stuff here.
1: Oh, so we have it being used in action, do we? Well, what do these purely objective arguments look like?
4: You also may have heard people argue that Jesus disciples simply hallucinated the resurrection appearances, but Hallucination by definition is something that occurs in the mind of the person experiencing it. If my friend Paul here takes a bunch of acid and a leprechaun appears to him, the rest of us aren't going to ask for his pot of gold because we're not going to see him. It's only in Paul's mind. The leprechaun doesn't exist outside of his mind. Liars make poor martyrs. Some human beings are willing to die for what they believe in. I've never met anyone who's willing to die for something he made up. The disciples saw the sort of thing that would convince individuals and groups, friends and foes, that they had all seen a man who had been dead, alive again, standing in front of them, telling them why he had to die and rise again. Unfortunately for our atheist friends, the only sort of thing that can do that is Jesus actually appearing to them, which means
1: that Jesus rose from the dead. So, So it's pretty much the same bad historiography and bad arguments that's found in every supposed historical look at the case for the resurrection.
0: Actually, but no, in uh, standard uh, discussions around the resurrection, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, whatever, one of, some of the agreed-upon agreed facts are that the disciples at least believed they saw the risen Jesus. Now, whether they did or not, people debate. But both sides agree that they had experiences of the risen Jesus, whatever those experiences were. One theory put forth to explain that piece of data that everybody, Christians and not, agree on is this idea of group hallucinations, which has been thoroughly debunked. Okay? And then David Wood also puts up another uh, thing that about... about Uh, Martyrs willing to die for things they believe are true. That's true of even the people who flew planes in the the World Trade Center. They at least believed it was true. Uh, Not that many people are willing to be martyred for something that they know to be a lie. It's one of those things they agree on. And so David Wood was pointing out that typically people die for something they believe to be true, not for something they know to be a lie. That's all he's saying. Dealing with things that everyone agrees with. And when those who... The alternative hypothesis to the resurrection like group hallucinations to explain the fact that everyone agrees on that they believed they had experiences of the risen Jesus he's shooting that down because it's dumb okay that's all that's happening here if you knew anything about this discussion between Christians and non-Christians scholars all who agree on a lot of things surrounding the historical Jesus and the resurrection case Even the ones who don't agree with the resurrection agree with certain things, and now you got to explain the data, which in this big old book, like I already mentioned before, in the last section of it, he goes through five, and then Dale Allison's in the the appendix, so six different competing hypotheses as to what happened regarding those facts that all those non-Christians that he engaged with agree with, how they explain those facts, Okay. And does that compare to the hypothesis that Jesus rose from the dead? As David Wood was saying in that book, no. The only thing that can explain all of these different things from uh, history, all of these minimal facts, sometimes it's called, that everyone agrees on, Christians and not, is that Jesus rose from the dead. And it's so compelling. It's so compelling that a lot of uh, atheists and a lot of people Do not present competing hypotheses for explanations of those facts that everyone already agrees with because they got tired of getting blown out of the water on them. Just so you know.
1: Figures hallucinations are far more likely than a Jewish man rising from the dead and only appearing to a select number of people that have already had contact with this idea of a Messiah, as well as knowing what other people looked like in general.
0: No, So a phenomenon of this idea of group hallucination was a phenomenon that does not really exist, okay, that doesn't happen is more likely than a resurrection? Even if you don't believe in a resurrection, you're gonna believe on the same grounds that group hallucinations don't happen, right? And it was as groups as large as 500 people, okay, saw this. They weren't all hallucinating the same thing. That doesn't happen in reality. Now you may say resurrections don't happen in reality either, that's fine, okay, that's your position, but how do you explain that data? You can't just say that I think this impossible phenomenon even by my own standards, if we're going by like science, uh, is which I don't know what, how, how resurrections offset science or anything like that, but just assuming the kind of stuff that they say because they don't understand reality, um, yeah, that's not any more likely. Except because you want it to be, that's that's your criteria. I want this to be more likely, so therefore it is. Okay, that's not a very good argument.
1: In the clip, Wood acts like these hallucinations can't have some kind of general theme to them, and this is directly contrary to what we see in reality now. We see themes being applied to hallucinations all the time. UFO abductees, they generally relay similar information, and you can even subdivide those particular experiences up into different versions of the same experience.
0: Yes, but there's a difference between them all sharing the same theme like oh i thought i saw jesus and some other guys said oh i thought i saw jesus and some other guys saying oh i thought i saw oh we all saw the same person and had a similar experience that shared this same theme with this person no we're talking about appearing to groups okay it's it's, regardless of whatever you think what they can't be having is shared hallucinations so even if they revolve around the same theme if they're happening in the same company, that's not an explanation because they're not each individually hallucinating, okay? That, that's far more implausible than Jesus rising from the dead to account for that one of several facts that have to be accounted for uh, regarding the agreed-upon facts of all sides, all parties, okay? So just because they all have the similar theme, oh, Jesus rose from the dead, they can't all be having the same hallucination, okay, and at the same time. Okay, when Jesus appeared to multiple groups and multiple peoples.
1: Also, when you hear about people having an experience of an angel or these near death experiences that are most likely hallucinations, those also take on similar general themes. This is what religion does to a historian when they start investigating their own faith.
0: No, again, the beliefs of the historian can color their work that's true for every historian regardless of their beliefs it doesn't follow that their conclusions must be false because they have beliefs right that's like me saying "Gaulish engineer everything he's saying is false simply because he has his worldview and that means because he believes what he's you know because he believes that there are no god or gods and the that naturalism is true, or whatever his worldview is, we can't accept anything he says about religious matters because he's just his beliefs can't tolerate it, so he has to default against it because he can't be objective, right? No, couldn't possibly matter. What you're saying could be right even if you um, have a bias, okay? What Mike Lacona is arguing could be right even if he has a bias, utterly irrelevant. But one thing that Mike Lacona did, it goes through his process of how to check your biases and limit your biases and control your biases who's doing that for you godless engineer one wonders it causes them to have ad
1: hoc statements that are not supported by the evidence well, women
0: are... wrong he's commenting on the evidence that's mutually agreed upon by all parties and one of the criteria that he uses uh that historiographers use is something that's uh less ad hoc now it can have even if it has some ad hoc component to it that's fine what you want is the hypothesis that is less ad hoc right what's more ad hoc is this hallucinations business because you have all of these different pieces of data right the conversions the appearances the empty tomb all these little pieces of data right now what you're doing is you are saying for this reason for this one particular thing we're going to insert hallucinations for this right to explain this one piece now we have four or five other things that we need to come up with and so we're gonna come up with uh, another explanation for this and then another explanation for this and another explanation for this and guess what you have you have a completely ad hoc explanation for why something like the resurrection uh, didn't happen right Whereas the resurrection case, that Jesus actually rose from the dead, is the less ad hoc position because it covers all of the facts better by miles, okay? So when we talk about ad hoc, what you want is a hypothesis that's less ad hoc that can account for more of the facts, right? What Godless Engineer doing is coming up with an explanation for one fact for that. That's exactly what ad hoc is. and to try to deal with all the other facts he's going to have to and avoid the resurrection which handles all of the facts he's going to have to start invoking ad hoc explanations for all of them and that's one of five or six criteria that makes all of these cases that Dr. Lykona analyzes in his book all the competing hypotheses as part of why small part of why but one part of why they all fail
2: really did enjoy about Mike's book. Probably my favorite part about the book um, is his section on the way history is done. It's called like historical epistemology. You, if you're familiar with that term, it's just kind of how we come to know things. And in that book, he has like a pretty um, good section on the different methodologies and stuff that historians take and why it's important to have these criteria criteria so that way we can look past our biases as well. And so I think that's one thing that a lot of people aren't really familiar with. And because of that, they may not understand like the, I want to say the quality of the evidence or they don't know how to kind of organize the evidence when it comes to historical evidence and the resurrection. So
1: it's not that we don't know how to organize the evidence. The criteria that you present here are meant to circumvent this bias that skeptical people have when they start taking a look at your faith. The criteria actually reinforce the bias that you have. Like I said before, this criteria that they use is only ever used in New Testament studies
0: Again, he's making the same claim he made earlier. We already addressed it earlier. No, when he's talking about the criteria, he's talking about methodology, things like explanatory scope, explanatory power, plausibility, less ad hoc illumination. Um, that, that's the stuff that comes in the primer uh, on how to do historiography from which he pulled from uh, historians. This, now, again, Mike Lacona acknowledges not all historians agree. In fact, there's a lot of debates in that, but of what they can agree... These tools are generally reliable tools for doing historiography. It's good methodology to be able to come up with these kinds of uh, hypotheses that are solid on explanatory scope, explanatory power, plausibility, less ad hoc, and provide illumination, and other things like that. So
1: to prove that jesus resurrected and to prove that he existed and the only thing they're looking to circumvent is your ability to
0: critically take a look at the evidence for the resurrection of jesus what about your inability to critically take a look at the evidence this is back to the same old nonsense just saying it a bunch of times you can turn the tables around say you're unqualified college engineer and not simply because you don't understand new testament studies or who actually participates in new testament studies or historiography in general but you're not qualified to talk about anything religious at all because you're biased against it. And you can't critically evaluate anything. See, that, that doesn't do anything. Saying things like this doesn't matter, right? Because if it's true for him, it's true for you. Jesus.
1: Next is a really good example of their criteria, putting on these Christ-colored glasses for you. Let's first start about what do you think about miracles
2: Um can history show miracles or prove miracles what is your kind of position on that and what do you
3: think yeah i do think they can okay and, uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> there we go that's it so. okay that's not criteria they 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 were that's not an issue of criteria what they're talking about now is can historians evaluate miracle claims and good news uh i agree with mike Lakota that you can a lot of people will say no a lot of other people will say yes in fact, there are actually Christians who will say no, and there are non-Christians who can say, yeah, I mean, we can. Uh, it, may not, it, may not, um, it may not turn out that any of them actually happened, but you can investigate it, right? Um, so he's got about <coughs> 68 pages on whether or not historians can evaluate miracle claims. Some say yes, some say no. Michael Kona says yes. He's among the Christians who say yes. Uh, and among some of the non-Christians who say, yeah, I mean, sure, we can investigate it. It's, it may not have happened. Uh, some say um, just by default as a matter of discipline, no. Um, but turns out those arguments are terrible. And I think Likona does a good job siding with the scholars who think that you can uh, in those 70 pages, which Godless Engineer hopefully will read one day.
3: Yeah, I do think historians can investigate and in principle they could prove miracle claims. Um, And when I say prove, I'm using prove in a relative sense. I mean, none of us can get into a time machine, return to the past and verify our conclusions. So when I say prove, I'm talking about reasonable certainty, of course. Mike Lacona hides behind the fact that you can't
1: 100% prove that a miracle happened in history.
3: That's not
0: hiding, that's stating what's obvious, which you are trying to be snotty about, but actually agree with. Let alone anything else in history.
1: He recontextualizes miracles to make it seem like they're just any other event that has happened in history.
0: No, he's not saying there are any other event that happened in history. The whole point about can you investigate miracles is... Because they're not like anything else that happens in history. Okay. Deep breath. I wanted to say something to point out something else, but I'm not going to. Come on, man. This reference class does not
1: actually describe the case of miracles. Miracles would be violations of the natural order of reality, whether a god exists or not. The... Sort of.
0: But again, you should read his book. Um sometimes they are complete violations, sometimes they are just a super feat of something natural that occurs. Maybe it has to do with the timing or the scale or something like that, um, to constitute as a miracle. It doesn't of course all naturals uh, I mean all miracles um typically involve some sort of manipulation of physical phenomenon. So, whether that's a resurrection or even the miracle of creation, ex Nihilo is bringing physical phenomenon into existence, or, you know, a curiously timed uh, uh, act of God, uh, you know, some which is a phrase used for, you know, hurricanes or uh, earthquakes or whatever. Uh, but, you know... He, Manipulation of whatever it is that Jesus does and to to, to heal the lame and, and and the blind and so forth is manipulating physical phenomena. So um, it could just be a super feat of uh, of physical manipulation uh, or uh, an outright violation, but it's not necessarily an outright violation um, because there is something to say. Well, uh, well, at some point it's it's. Uh, It's unexplained, but it could be explained later, right? Uh, We can explain earthquakes, right? But still, there's some sort of, like in the Bible, there's some curiously timed uh, judgments where the earth swallows the people up, like the rebellion of Korah, for example, right? So there's all kinds of different, even just within the Bible, there's all different types of miracles, um, but they don't all necessarily involve violations of nature, um, but uh, some do some don't
1: reference class of other events that follow this natural order of reality does not fit miracles he has to do this in order for his points to make sense
0: but again that's wrong what he's saying is miracles are in a special class now can we examine this special class historically or not some christians and non-christians most christians and some non-christians i'll say that uh say yes uh and some non-christians uh, say yes, and some non-Christians say no. You can't uh, just uh, as a discipline, historians can't do that. A uh, lot of different views out there, my friend. Um, but the the question is: these things that aren't like everything else, can we look at those too from a historical perspective? And uh, Michael Conis sides with those who say yes, you can. Now that doesn't mean that. By examining to see if something happened means that it did happen, but the question is, can you examine miracle claims in the past as as a function of doing history? Okay, we clear on that. I don't think Godless Engineer is clear on that, but I want everyone else to be clear on that. This is the same kind of tactic
1: that creationists use to make their arguments seem plausible. Creationists have to argue against uniformitarianism in order to make their point. And that's exactly what Mike Lacona is doing here.
0: Uh, actually, a lot of people outside of the answers in Genesis uh, don't do that at all. But, okay.
2: Um, um, there is no historical evidence that... It, because here's the thing, is like you'll see a lot of atheists who will say like, Oh, it's in the history. They kind of throw out history in whole, you know. we weren't there two thousand years ago. Years ago, there was a comment earlier that said that. Well, how am I supposed to believe something that happened two thousand years ago? Well, can't you apply
3: that to Caesar's crossing the Rubicon? Yeah. And you know, forty-nine BC or his assassination at the Ides of March, uh, forty-four BC. Yeah. You know, of course, you can. You can prove some things of the past with reasonable certainty. You can't with 100% certainty because there's all kinds of challenges to learning about the past. Here, Lycona is using the
1: vagueness of history to hide his historical evidence for his faith. History
0: can be pretty vague and the historical evidence- Where was he doing that? He was just sitting there, he was simply saying, regardless of the historical claim, in fact, he goes into this <coughs> in his book, and in all you find it in all those other books that I uh, showed, and then all the books that I don't have that Lycon has probably read, uh, they, uh, most all of them say, yeah, the, you know things are conclusions are to be held tentatively, you know, um, provisionally, uh, but you can have reasonable certainty unless there are reasons to come to a different conclusion, right? Uh, that's all he's saying. He's he's not using that to hide by behind anything, right? He's just saying that's that's how it is because that's how it is.
1: Evidence for some events in history is not as abundant as we would like. That is the only place where Lycona's evidence has any validity.
0: Uh, My- actually, no. Again, wrong. In fact, there's there's better evidence that Jesus rose from the dead uh, than evidence that Caesar crossed the Rubicon. There just is. There are more there's better evidence and more agreed-upon evidence surrounding the origins of Christianity, we'll say. And that at least people thought Jesus rose from the dead than there is for Caesar, but just want to put that out there.
1: It goes on to basically describe historiography and how we analyze sources, like who records an event, when did they record it, who were their sources, and if they are independent or not.
0: Yeah, this- basic, basic, Criteria, basic questions that any historian would ask of any source of any kind of variety at all. He goes on to talk about standard stuff in the field
3: and. Um, yes, OK.
1: And he says this
3: come up, you look at sources and then you look at what can we mine from those sources, come up with what we call facts uh, that we can believe with reasonable certainty. And then you formulate hypotheses to say what are the what hypotheses can account for these facts? And then you assess those hypotheses to see which one best accounts for those facts.
0: All of this that he just said is subjective. all of what he said is standard, okay. All of what he said is just basic methodology for doing history. It's it's subjective in one sense it's objective in method but it's yeah it's subjective in the sense of okay I think this is reliable I don't think this is reliable I think this is reliable okay but what is reliable well it's subjective to a whole bunch of people when he's talking about the facts he's talking about the facts that all the Christians and non-christians both alike all agree on these are the facts that's what he's talking about those things that all these people who don't believe Jesus rose from the dead that he interacted with, they agree with. Okay, so if his subjective understanding of those facts, and you saw him do the air quote because I mean he's just saying this is the bedrock ideas, the facts uh, that are all agreed upon, we can we can mine those sources for that. And look 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 at all this consensus out there of people who believe nothing that I believe, who believe Jesus rose from the dead about as much as Godless Engineer does, but yet they agree with those facts. Godless Engineer probably doesn't agree with any of them because he's a mythicist. The overwhelming majority of scholarship, they all are like, yeah, okay, those are those kind of facts. That's what he's talking about, those minimal bedrock facts, which you take those and you form a hypothesis. You take these facts that are subjective, yet the scholarly consensus of Christians and non-Christians all agree with them, okay, um, so it's about as good as you can get that everyone agrees. And then uh, you form your hypothesis to account for those facts. Uh, and his hypothesis is the resurrection hypothesis, which turned out to have better explanatory scope, power, plausibility, It was less ad hoc and greater illumination than all these competing hypotheses, which once again is why so many um, critics of the resurrection stopped bringing them because they crumble every time up when held up to scrutiny.
1: heart of the historical method, it's very subjective as to what you think explains the facts. Which is
0: why you see what the consensus is, and guess what, if the consensus agrees with you about what those facts are, then yeah, you're in good company.
1: To Lycona, God existing and Jesus rising from the dead explains all of the facts. No,
0: that was, yes, that was his hypothesis, but that's not what he was counting. He wasn't saying that you made it sound like Jesus uh, rose from the dead and God existing was a fact. No, that was part of his hypothesis that seems to do better with the facts than competing hypotheses.
1: It does explain those facts, but we have yet to prove that God exists and that somebody can rise from the dead in the manner that Jesus did.
0: Oh, Oh. oh, oh, wait a minute. But if, if that's the hypothesis, you don't need to understand the mechanism, right? You don't need to understand how God raised from the dead. Um, but if Jesus rose from the dead, you can look for the best candidate of how that would happen. And part of the resurrection case is that God is the best candidate. Now, some Christian apologists do the one-step approach. They say, resurrection gets you God. Some people do the two-step approach. The William Lane Craig's of the world say, God exists, and because God exists, uh, Raising Jesus from the dead is not really terribly difficult. So it depends on your methodology there, right? But, I mean, of course God exists, right? Of course God exists. I can't believe we're still debating that. I mean, atheists, uh, they don't believe that God exists, but, I mean, of course God exists. There's no good reasons to be an atheist whatsoever. I've yet to hear any, and I've been in apologetics for, I don't know, 20 years now. and um, So I, I give them a fair shake, and I've been giving atheists a fair shake, uh, far too fair of a shake for 20 years now, listening to them. And um, yeah, you know, I just, I just, uh, not buying it. So uh, yeah, if God's existence, which has been amply demonstrated, uh, and God raising Jesus from the dead is a better hypothesis to account for the facts than anything else, then uh, that's the one that you should go with if facts matter and a hypothesis that has not yet been refuted. Resurrection, I call it a historical fact.
1: Occam's razor says that a hypothesis among competing hypotheses that has the least amount of ad hoc assumptions attached to it is most likely the correct one. The two assumptions that- Yeah, you
0: just don't multiply, right? You don't multiply your explanation entities for your explanation beyond what is absolutely necessary. But, again, he's got this backwards. God raising Jesus from the dead is simple. This ad hoc explanation, hallucinations, explains the appearances. This ad hoc explains the the, the, the disciples stole the body. The Romans buried the body in a field of dogs, right? That explains that one, and then... Uh, Paul was having a midlife crisis. That explains that one, right? That's more ad hoc. All the all the hypotheses other than the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, that God raised Jesus from the dead, are the more ad hoc. Icona and all other apologists have to make in this particular context are... Ad- Wrong. All atheists make more ad hoc explanations in trying to respond to the resurrection case. Uh, it's not really, it's less ad hoc to believe that God exists and raised Jesus from the dead.
1: Ad hoc, unfounded
0: assumptions. Next time, we're going to... Naturalism and atheism are ad hoc, unfounded assumptions, by the way. Okay? Your your position doesn't... Does not get atheism and uh, metaphysical naturalism or even methodological naturalism, as far as I'm concerned, is not privileged to have the default status of being unbiased and objective, blah, blah, blah. You have not earned that position of privilege for... Uh, methodological or metaphysical naturalism or atheism gives you no privilege or standing uh in any conversation whatsoever your biases and your presuppositions which you have which are equal to any christians gives none of us we none of us have any standing of privilege over facts okay so don't make that mistake right because christians we don't buy into the myth of neutrality and it sounded like Godless Engineer was willing to admit earlier that he doesn't buy into it, that he knows that he has his. But don't think for a second that yours are more privileged, right? Let's take a look
1: at Mike Licona and how he argues for the resurrection of Jesus. A couple of arguments get brought up, and he tries to circumvent them in ways that might surprise you. So tune in next time for that particular analysis.
0: For now, that will be fun. Anyway, this has been uh, a response video from Jonathan Bridget on here on Trinity Radio. Be sure and check out our uh, sister podcast on the Trinity Commission, uh, Bible Down with Matt Chisholm and Billy Winland, Soteriology 101 with Leighton Flowers, and The Narrow Path with Steve Craig. Thank you for your uh, attention. If you want more content like this, be sure and like and subscribe. Uh, like the video, subscribe to our channel. And if you'd like to support more video content like this, please go to patreon.com slash trinity radio and become a patron. Anyway, thank you for your time and attention. Y'all be blessed.